Oh, friends, you are about to meet someone extraordinary. My guest today is Ed Lattimore. And let me just give you a quick highlight reel of this human being, which won't be easy because honestly, Ed is a Renaissance man in the absolute truest sense of the word. He is a former professional heavyweight boxer. His professional record includes 15 fights, 13 of which were wins. Ed Lattimore is the best-selling author of two books, Not Caring What Other People Think is a Superpower, Insights from a Heavyweight Boxer, and Sober Letters to My Drunken Self. Ed is also a veteran of the United States Army National Guard, and at the age of 33, he went back to school and got a Bachelor of Arts degree in physics. Ed is also a very active online and over-the-board chess player and was featured in American Chess Magazine. Ed has been on Ryan Holiday's fantastic blog, The Daily Stoic, and is featured in one of my favorite books ever, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Ed Lattimore defies characterization. I've seen him called an author. I've seen him called an influencer. I've seen him called a speaker and a teacher. He's just a dazzling human working hard to realize his full potential, and I find him enormously inspiring. I can't wait for you to meet him and to learn from him. So pour yourself a cup of coffee and get ready. It is my delight to introduce you to Ed Lattimore. One of the things I love about, because I'm a communication coach, I help people tell their stories and give TED Talks and things back when there were TED Talks to give, right? And one of the things I love about the way you position yourself as a speaker, as a teacher, as a writer, as a thought leader, is you've divided your life up into these segments, right? Like phase what part one was this, part two was that. You've lived a bunch of different lives in the one And I wanted you to take our listeners through each phase because some of the things that you learn in each phase are so beautiful and so unexpected. I just wonder if you wouldn't mind just going there. Oh, no, no problem. You know, and forgive me if it's not 100% accurate to what I wrote, but I think of my life in terms of these phases. Yeah. And, you know, there's the first phase of my life, we'll say from like birth to age uh, 18-ish, I was born in typical high-risk youth, as they they say, right? But born in public housing. Yep. I knew my father, but he didn't live with us. He wasn't in my life. I mean, to say my father had a hand in raising me is probably more accurate than saying my mom was a single mom, Mm -hmm. but somewhere in between. I mean, I probably saw him twice a year. Right, yeah. talk to him, and he, you know, he paid child support, whatever. Right, wow. but we still lived in the projects, man. Like, like yeah. that is not. Uh, it's not like there was so much money coming from somewhere. Like, no, we, yeah. we were poor, and we were on welfare for most of. I remember being, being on some form of public assistance. That's what we used to call a welfare, public assistance, and then living in subsidized housing, which is the really nice way of saying housing projects. Yeah, and in, in that environment. There's probably a few things that could have gone wrong. I mean, there's actually a lot of things that could have gone wrong. Yeah. And mostly things I think went okay as far as it could go. You know, I, I didn't get anyone pregnant, thank goodness. <laughs> uh, and, 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 you know, it wasn't for like, it wasn't for like lack of trying or anything. I just, it was a, no, in all seriousness, and this is really important. Part yeah. of the, the story, I need to write yeah. this down somewhere. I, I was teased like no other for like, like they called me like an ugly kid, you know, whatever. I remember my nickname. It doesn't even crack you up. 
had a nickname as a kid until I got to high school, away from everybody. I was Congo. Off the eight movie that Michael Crichton made the book over, and then the well, the the eight movie that the uh, Michael Crichton's book. Yeah, of course. Turned into yeah, right. That's what the joke was. Cause I look like that's, an ape, right? That's, that's super shitty. <laughs> oh yeah, man, kids are mean, and kids, and, and are, kids the worst. And projects are even even meaner, right? It made me feel really comfortable as an as an outsider, and that's a really really key trait because I am not an introvert. Yeah, I I can lean towards that, and, yeah. and certainly have found ways to be comfortable there because that's the yeah. only way you can do meaningful work. I feel, that's but right. I am far from an introvert. But being forced to learn how to exist on my own, you know, I had to learn how to meld those two things together, yeah. and it really, it really, I think, helped me. I yeah. also had my mom. You know, all parents they they get some things right, they get some things wrong. Mm. If I'm being completely candid, I think. Yeah. My got more things wrong than right yeah but one of the big things she got correct mm. was i had i grew up with a real love of books my mom used to tell us books are treasures you know wow. i remember we got like dr sue's delivered it was one of the things she she spent some money on we always books around and she always had like these cheesy paperbacks that i was never interested in or so i thought they were cheesy i grew up it turns out it's just dean cooch james patterson uh oh yeah so books were like not only always around i didn't read them but like i was like oh a book is a thing to do like that was yes. like a past time of mine and even growing up getting into video games i liked rpgs and rpgs are role-playing games where you read, yeah. read a text-based story so i learned how to entertain myself I got this love of, of knowledge and mm -hmm. and that again isolates me even further and that's nice it, it's good because because i'm not i'm not unlikable because i'm an, I'm an extrovert and I, and I i figured out how to be likable and i i, mm -hmm. I read because it really will save your life yeah or at the very least keep you out of a lot of trouble if you know how to be likable in the right way without actually and i want to just before you go any further on that i want to press on that point because the likability one of the great lines that i read that you wrote was never underestimate the power of being likable oh absolutely people are weird you know they think that there's something wrong with aiming to be liked and and, and yeah. i suppose if you being liked is like water right yeah the, the harder you try to grab it the more like you it slips to <laughs> your so hand <laughs> so what what you learn what i figured out intuitively and then i refined as i got older yeah is that it's best to just kind of have your own thing and do your own thing don't piss people off just be you yeah be respectful yeah and you can save a lot of you can save yourself a lot of problems a lot mm -hmm. of trouble, mm -hmm. and avoid a lot of issues so that chapter of your life you learned likability uh -huh. And you also, there was a second part of that. It's like never underestimate the power of being likable and never underestimate the damage that losing control of your emotions. Wasn't that the second half of that? Yeah, you know, and that's something you see growing up a lot. It's really amazing how many bad situations can be avoided with good manners. Ooh. And I wish people got that. Yeah. Because really the difference between all right cool and like somebody being beat to an inalterable state or one that requires medical attention at least to repair yeah it's really just just the differences of, of recognizing that you were wrong without uh escalating and there's a lot of ego impostering and especially poor neighborhoods interestingly enough you know yeah, yeah. but 
so, so people feel like they have a lot to protect, a lot to defend. Oh, and, I see what you're saying. Yeah. If you let yourself fall into that trap, yeah, you, you're going to have to defend a thing. But if you, if you start off with the premise that none of this is really that important, certainly not important enough to take risk, then you can go pretty far Fine. and be pretty yeah. safe and keep yourself out of a lot of dangerous situations. So let me ask you this. Like I imagine as you work with people, especially, and I spent a lot of time in my job actually helping people manage emotions because some of the worst communication habits people have is they lose their cool and whatever that looks like. And for everybody, it's different. When you're working with someone, and I'm sure this you could go back into your boxing career as well, what techniques or how do you help people work through a big moment of emotion, whether that's anger or sadness or whatever it is, like, how do you, how do you help people with that? So I think it all starts with getting a person to understand that the other person is just like them. And, and that's hard for whatever reason, yeah. or, or rather sometimes it's harder than others. Certainly yeah. when you like, fundamentally dislike whatever what a person stands for and they voted for the wrong guy and they wear the wrong kind of shoes like <laughs> it's hard okay but if you can start with the idea that everyone that you are like the other person yeah and that everyone is the same or like you then you can understand where they're coming from yeah and, and that's you know maybe you're still angry but at the very least, you you are able to stop and find some type of common ground. And that's all it takes. Just a little bit for you to for you to calm down and get control. For you to go, okay, I know why you did this. I get why you did this. Yeah. I understand. I'm not saying I agree, but I understand. And if people took the time to do that, they would get a lot more control of their emotions. You know, one one of the big things that, that I'm into, really into forgiveness and mm -hmm. forgiveness it's a hard thing because it's, it's asking you to do something that's really unnatural which is okay you got this grudge you got these feelings you feel like retribution and justice need to be dealt but you're able to go okay you know what i don't care about any of that i'm gonna just wipe the emotional books clean and let that go so that's hard to do yeah but <laughs> but if you can do it, you save yourself a lot of hardship and a lot of misery. And the more you practice it, the better you get at it, like most things. And one of the natural side effects of this way of thinking is that it becomes very difficult to get angry at a person. Wow. And even, I... and even if you get angry, it is really easy, or at least easier to stay in control of it. You know, not only do you remove the intensity of the fire, you decrease the rate at which it expands. Wow. God, Ed, I just want to stop for a second because when you say the phrase, wipe the emotional books clean, the hair on my arm stands up. That is so hard to do. It's so hard to do that. And yet you're right. It, it becomes a muscle that allows you to deescalate and be more in command of yourself. But like, how the hell do you do that? You know, you how? Know, I, I wrote an article, about, I wrote a, a few articles on my site about forgiveness because mm -hmm. it's, it's a thing that's important to me. Mm -hmm. And an example I brought up was like, uh, what do we do with people who abuse, sexually abuse children. Mm 
Yeah. Okay. First of all, there are two components to the world. You know, there's the external and the internal. Yeah. For the external, we got justice. We lock them away. Yes. We let prison justice do what prison justice is going to do on top of <laughs> legal justice. Yeah. And that deals with that. What we yeah. don't have is a system for dealing with the internal. That kid's still got a, a lot of issues. So what do we do with that? And that is where the emotional internal work comes from, the therapy, the forgiveness. Those are two big things because, look, yeah. there's no way. Your emotions are funny. Your emotions trap you at the time that you experience said thing, right? And you think that by getting some type of revenge or justice that it's going to go away. But they're, they're two different dimensions, man. It, it doesn't work. You're going to be stuck. You, you could go kill this person and you're still going to feel empty, right? So you got to be able to, to work on that. And that's a different skill set. That's one that we are, we are unfortunately kind of behind on in this yeah. world, I think. We, yeah. we, we, we've got an incredible, really an incredible justice system. And I say that despite all of its flaws, we still are in one of the safest, if not the, I think it's the safest period in human history. Yeah. By all measures, we have evolved as we should in terms of how we deal with transgression, right? Yeah. Yeah. We have done almost nothing in terms of how we deal with the internal portion that you can't sentence. There's no 20 year sentence equivalent. Yeah. Right, yeah. To, to the heartache and the damage and the trauma that a person goes through. And, and so did did you get that guidance on the forgiveness work as part of the your work in therapy? Or did you just learn it through life? I'm really fortunate. And, and you know, maybe it was just, if you want to call it a higher power intervening and guiding me to this or coincidence, you know, depending on how you look at it, it's either coincidence or a higher power. I discovered a book called A Course in Miracles when I was- Oh, I huge love for A Course in Miracles. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. I keep it right on my desk. And I read through it like twice when I was in my early 20s and then continue to reference it. And it, it's a framework for really how to think about these things. And, 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 you know, this is just to show you how the world can't put everything into straight up science. At the very least, our, our, at the very least, we can accept that our concept of science is limited. I mean, remember, it wasn't too long ago, we thought that putting leeches on somebody cured things. <laughs> so, so true. Right? And, and I bring that up to say that the book is one of the most unscientific things you will ever read from modern standpoint. But to say it doesn't work is just not correct. It has changed my life and it continues to change the lives of, of many millions people of people. And likewise, right now, we got a lot of internal work, a lot of our work with emotions. We don't deal with them. We don't learn about them. Mm-hmm. And look, I am far from a touchy, feely, get inside my emotions and feelings kind of guy. So, so this is not coming from that that kind of new age, you know, yeah. quote unquote softy dude from yeah. a hard from a hard world, and have done a lot of hard things that <laughs> would not be considered very emotional. Yeah, but I've learned the power of forgiveness and what it does to any type of it's just rot. That's the emotional yeah. rot. Yeah. It wipes it out. It cleans it out. It gives you an ability to move forward and get peace for things that you otherwise could not get peace for. 
And so when you like, let's, I'm just imagining my own story, but anybody listening to this will have that one thing that they can't get over. You know, there's the one wound, the primal wound we're all carrying with us. If you had to give that person one piece of advice to begin the work of forgiveness, is the one piece of advice, go out and read Course in Miracles? Is it, you know, because that, that book is hard. Like I've Oh, it is, it's definitely not some uh, light reading. No, it's deep. I mean, it, it's basically like rewiring your thinking about everything. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you call it that? It's like... Yes. Oh, absolutely. Because when I, when I started discussing the ideas that I had encountered reading that book and, mm-hmm. and you know, people just could not, I don't think there was anybody in my life. And I was like, okay, and I'm going to just shut up about this now yeah. until I learn more. Yeah. And, and really the work you do, I, I think there's something in there about this, that the work you do is, is mostly profit work. And if you happen to come across someone in passing that does it, that's great. You'll be able to talk, but, but it's not really designed for like proselytization or anything. Definitely like not. Cause people will think you're crazy. Cause I've had the same experience, Ed. Same. Yeah. You know, I, I try, you know, try to explain how you can forgive unless I'm going to like, no nah, man, off or not. We got to go out there and smoke right. that or something like that. Uh, no, it doesn't. It, it, yeah. it doesn't make sense because the world is not ready for it in mass but slowly but surely i think people like me people like you is we live the ideas and set examples and just expose people however we expose them whether it be through this platform yeah is a mass or one individual act someone who carries that and wants to understand it that's it Uh, slowly but surely you, you transform the way the world looks at these things one of the things I've observed about your story, and I know we're, we're, we need to go deeper into it, but I noticed that your life is such an interesting set of polar opposites. Like, you know, <laughs> this is the guy that's the former professional boxer, army, but also did the Course in Miracles and is, you know, totally on the path of forgiveness and not the eye for an eye, you know, means of justice. And you have the guy that was, grew up in the projects and such a tough start who also studied physics, like ended up in academia, you know, learning about, you didn't go into the, into business. You weren't a business <laughs> major. You were a freaking <laughs> physics major. There's all these just very interesting edges to you. How do you reconcile all of those different aspects of yourself? I mean, you're just a really interesting combination of opposites. So, so what looks like an opposite to everyone else? To me, you know, every, every decision I made has been more or less guided by the same set of principles. And once, once you, you know, kind of get those principles, everything else kind of goes, okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. Right. Principle number one is to always take the, the move that optimizes between risk and reward. Mm. Uh, I'm not all, I'm, I'm not the big all out risk guy. And I certainly will not take the easiest path. But for example, when I decided to go back to school and why did I decide to go back to school? Because I'm sitting here looking into the future. I'm I'm strategic minded. I'm looking into the future and I go, okay, fighting won't last forever. I'm 27. I feel like I'm smart enough to do something other than like deliver packages for the rest of my days or something like that. Once I'm done fighting, let's go back to school and make sure that like we can do this and then get my, because I was looking at the way the system is is designed and it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, 
they will take me seriously with a degree, mm-hmm. but only with a certain kind of degree. So I remember doing the research and the research was like, like, like I, I think like all of the top paying fields mm-hmm. and the fields with the highest job satisfaction all had math involved. So I was like, man, this sucks. I was like bad at math. Like I have, a, I have an article on my site where I, have my, I got my high school transcripts to make a point. I was not a good math student. I had no concept of it whatsoever. Couldn't grasp it, couldn't pull it together. But I said, okay, either we're not going back to school or we're going to learn math. And since I had made up my mind to go back to school, I went and I, I dug the last B or better I got was like ninth grade geometry. And after that, everything was C's and D's. Yeah. So I went and dug, 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 and started from the beginning and put everything together. And then, you know, there's a whole story behind how I ended up in physics as opposed to just straight math. But that all started by looking and going, okay, here is the best path for me to go back to school. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the best way to do it and what to study when I get there. And now I need to make sure I'm prepared to do it. So I got to learn math. And so that is how I, I ended up on that. That same thought process, for example, is kind of how I ended up fighting. I started fighting when I was 22, very late relative to like when people start these things. And, and I started fighting because the first time I tried to go to college when I was 18, like everyone else, and I don't think anyone should go to college when they're 18 now, but yeah. When I was that age, I was like not ready. Three semesters and I was out. I left because I had like the lowest, one of the lowest GPAs ever. I had like failed math, bunch of math classes too. Mm. Got caught up in drinking and chasing girls. It's craziness. But I went on a bit of a uh, sour grapes tour and I was just talking about <laughs> sour how, grapes tour. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, anyone who would listen, I would talk about how stupid the college system is. Now mm-hmm. I still hold that belief. The difference now is like, what are you going to say to me? I got a, I got a physics degree. Now are you right? I still yeah. don't think that way. Yeah. But, but, but you played um, this. You played the game long enough to get your degree, right? I played the game. So I looked at two paths, and I was like, well, because I didn't have enough money to go to school, and I had no faith in my ability to like do school at this point either. So I looked at two paths: military mm-hmm. or boxing. Mm. And I said, the military is really going to lock me in. Plus, we had just gotten the 9-11. Things were not looking good. So I said, let me do this this boxing thing. And I didn't know exactly where it was going to go, but I knew my approach to it. Well, one, I knew that there was some upside. I didn't know what the upside was, but this has taught me that as long as you take intentional steps towards something, you Mm. tend to be the beneficiary of many positive externalities that come along the way. Mm. You don't know exactly how you'll win, but you'll, you'll get some prizes, you know? That's right. That's pretty how it goes. So so I did that, and I approached boxing, and I just, you know, little steps just kept getting better and better and making decisions and making decisions. And then before you know it, I had, what did, what did I end up? My amateur career, I ended up with a national title, won the 2011 PAL Championship, uh, second place at ringside. Uh, made it to the top of four, I think, for the Golden Glove National Tournament, beat a guy who ended up becoming the Olympian, beat another guy who ended up becoming world champion. Wow. And then this is in my amateur career. So I was like, okay. And then I, you know, turned pro and then kept doing that. But once again, this all started with the idea of like, okay, I'm looking forward in the future. And I'm like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm 22 now. I'm going to be 28, 33 one day. Am I going to have something to show for it? Or am I just going to be uh, you were just hanging around drinking. Right. Same idea, speaking of drinking, to the sobriety. 
I get sober at December 23rd, 2013. I have a tattoo on my arm. Uh, <laughs> That's amazing. December 23rd, 2013. And one of the things that, that led to this, okay? So at this point, I just turned pro. I just enrolled in school. And we'll get to the Army and why that's part of it. Mm-hmm. But I'm in the mm-hmm. Army. And I just met my girlfriend. I'm like, man, I think there might be some something here. She's still here. We're living together. It's great, right? That's amazing. Um, but I said to myself, I said, okay, you're 28 right now. One day you're going to turn 33. And are you going to turn 33 with more options or fewer options? Oh, what a great question. Are you going to turn 33 with more options or fewer options? And and I can tell you those options sucked. Like I remember like T-Mobile, no money, trying to figure out. And I said, you know what? I don't know how the future is going to look, but I know I don't want it to look any worse than now. And a big problem is my drinking. So let me deal with that and knock that out. And so now it's been, it'd be, what it'll be, it'll be seven years this year. That's incredible. Uh, 23rd. So all of these things, right, were made, once again, looking forward to the future and going, okay, what's the best way to give myself the best chance of having a better future of making moves and making progress? Same idea behind joining the Army. But let me let me ask you this though. What I find so amazing about that is that a lot of us, and I use the word us because it's everybody, but a lot of us when we're looking at our future or our next moves, all we hear are the stories of how we've been <laughs> victimized by life or so-and-so didn't raise us right or we didn't get the opportunities that that person got. And there's just this narrative of oh. that. Like, how did you get away from that because it's really sticky. It's hard. And I had those issues. You know, one of the the thing, one of the reasons why I got into the forgiveness is because I had a really, I had had an issue with my mother and I was was angry. I remember, I remember getting angry Uh, and it started when I was like 14 and it probably peaked around 23, right before I really got into forgiveness seriously. And I was like, why would you have me? And we, we were poor. I had no options. I couldn't do anything. And I was so far behind and in this awful, and I was, I was so angry, right? And, and then what happened is I started with a basic premise. I said, okay, let me put myself the best that I can. And you got to assume a person is working on, on what they believe is the best thing for them. Which which is hard, too, because that requires you to get out of the mentality that they were trying to attack you. You kind of have to see yourself, even if the attack was direct, you have to see yourself as collateral damage to their happiness, right? They're doing what makes them feel best. So once you do that, once I did that, for example, I was able to go, okay, yeah, yeah, things were rough and it was bad, but she's doing what she thought was best at the time. And then at that, then I could look at okay, what are, what what's been good about this? Now now I can now I'm not so angry, and I can look at what's been good about the situation. Okay, well, uh, I got this. I'm alive for starters. I mean, I don't I don't know what the alternative is like, but this is pretty good so far. Uh, I am I'm healthy. I've got this mentality about books. That's a great habit you know getting older you realize a lot of people i coach people and then writing and a lot of people don't read fiction i'm like you gotta you gotta learn how these words are used man like to create some art and i have that naturally and it it has paid off i got that from my my mom mom and and on top of that never run hungry Uh, so i was okay it was all right so it could be 
words, but those are good things. And then, and then this is the cool thing. Then this influences a lot of how I look at everything and what I'm working on now and stuff. And what I try to teach people, I started to look at how the situation gave me an advantage because I had, I mean, every on paper disadvantage you could think of, right? Right. But then I sort of think, well, for starters, I've had a house key and been letting myself in since I was like five and my mom, because my mom wasn't home. Yep. I am incredibly resilient and aware of things. Like, like you're not going to catch me off guard. Uh, I had to learn how to really talk to and deal with people. Most people don't, will never. And in fact, I, I would go as far as to say, if you're not exposed to some of the situations that I was exposed to by a certain age, you'll, you'll never have the ability to read people that I have. And it's a great gift. It's the kind of gift for you, you know, where where uh, it's wrapped in terrible paper. Yeah. Uh, but then you yeah. open it up and you go, okay, this ain't bad. That's, that's you know what it's like. It's like yeah. an ugly plant wrapped in horrible paper. <laughs> With the instructions says, plant water, expose the sun, wait five years, <laughs> and then you go, and it's like this big old blossoming, uh, amazing full of sunflowers gift. and bananas and everything. You're like, wow, this is great. I wish it wasn't so horrible. Couldn't you have like? <laughs> Giving it to me this way, I was like, no, you had to grow it. And that's that how it's a beautiful practice, though. Like, what were the gifts, or what, you know, they did the best they could, what was good about it, and why is it now an advantage? That's really powerful. Yeah, but, but you can't get to point C yeah. without starting at point zero, which is going, okay, this person is like every other person. What do they call them in math? First yeah. principles. Right, like right. Things that are just true and there's no way to really prove it. You know, you just got to accept just, it. It is what it is, right? And and my first principle when it comes to people is that everyone is trying to make themselves happy. And that takes precedent and anything else is secondary, whether it helps or hurts you. One, And it's not a negative. It's not a positive. It just it is. is. Yeah. Right? And once yeah. you start working from there, then you can start building on it. Mm, God, that is, re- I got to tell you, that message is well-timed in my life right now. <laughs> that's, that's good. You know, it's beautifully me- timed. You know, I, th- I feel like the message is always timed well because, because I think that a condition of life is discomfort. Yeah. Uh, I'm very stoic in that regard. I think that all of life. I mean, I think there are moments mm-hmm. of, of happiness and enjoyment, but for the most part, all of it sucks, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. At the very yeah. least, all of it is not as great as a small portion of it, not mm-hmm. even close. So mm-hmm. then what you have to do, what you learn then is that seeking our happiness is kind of pointless. That's a fool's errand. Instead, what you should seek is resilience. You should mm-hmm. seek toughness. Well, mm-hmm. what's the old, what's the old saying, right? Don't yeah. ask for a lighter load, ask for stronger legs. That's right. Know. In fact, I noticed that that word stoic is a big word for you. It's a big part of how you live and where your strength comes from. And I want you to just say more about stoicism and how it fits into. In fact, I think it's so perfectly timed because the sort of love and light, new agey, feel good, it reached for the emotions you want to feel. Like that was real cute until about March of this year. And then we were like, um, yeah, that doesn't work right now. Everything sucks. Whereas stoicism is more like, look, 
suffering is, you know, is baseline. Like say a little right. bit more about that, about the value of a stoic response versus it's like we were talking about earlier in the conversation. Every you know, we we got ahead of ourselves. We thought we were we were king of this planet, right? And all of a sudden the virus is like, we'll show you, and boom, there it comes. So that is only disruptive if you think everything is happy go lucky. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, one of the benefits. That's so true. <laughs> one of the benefits of how I was brought up and raised and things I had to do with, like for example, you know, I don't really remember feeling safe. You know, it's the like I understand kid. I remember moments where people weren't trying to like kick my ass or something, but like a general safety at home or at school. No, right? So yeah. so I never, yes, and that is very traumatic. I do not recommend you go, you know, you get kids yeah. off guard or anything. That is extreme. Really traumatic, <laughs> right? And you'll need to read books like The Course of Miracles to just get to a baseline of operation with one human. Well, Amen. But my, my point about that is that there was never a comfortable point, so I never thought that I was supposed to pursue that. It was never an easy point, so I never thought it's supposed to be easy. Wow. It's always hard. So my thought process was like, you got to be hard to deal with this, you know. And if you don't, then the world's going to chew you up. And I, I got examples of it every day in my life. So that changes how I look at comfort, you know? Yeah. I, well, listen, Ed, I just, I really thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Bet you never thought you'd get lessons in forgiveness from a boxer, did you? I certainly didn't. I loved talking with Ed, and there's a lot we can learn from his way of seeing things, from the Stoic philosophy in general. I left this conversation more resolved, more steady, more focused on what I can control and less triggered by the bad behaviors of others. And to me, that is the mark of a deep, nourishing conversation. And I thank you for listening as always. Shine on you crazy diamonds. I'm so grateful to have you in my world.